Earlier, we were talking about the Master Dao Xin, and now we're going to go to um, the Master Hong uh, Jin. Um, sorry about Ray. Um, The first thing um, that was um, that Daoshin introduced was the ideas of questions of the master. He also introduced the fact that the the masters found a home base and where, where they practiced from. Uh, this was they had sometimes it was referred to as the Twin Peaks, and um, there. Thank you. Um, there was. Uh, in this Twin Peaks, the East Peak was where Daoxian set up a monastery. So it was referred to as the East Peak or East Mountain uh, practice. And in the East Mountain practice, this was where later uh, Master Hongren actually became a bit more famous than, than Daoxian. Largely because of uh, that he produced or, or his disciples produced more writings from him at that point in time. And this is where uh, these writings began to become circulated and to have um, more of an established dharma where we could truly recognize it as something as Chan. And so um, all of this going back all the way to the original patriarch uh, of uh, Bodhidharma emphasized uh, Ekayana, the, just this mind. And even to this day, this is what I work with is just mind. That's why I always refer to mind work, because this is really what was taught originally. And I, I don't want to, um, to lose that flavor of Chan there. It's interesting because in this day and age, we are able to access more Dharma than what was going through at that time in terms of uh, reading materials. Uh, it was very difficult because you imagine these Dharmas were coming, coming into the country at such a slow pace sometimes several hundred years after they'd been written, but they were new to, um, to the Chinese. And, and being new, they were accepting them, reading them. And, and what was interesting about this is that they didn't go through a very rigorous, critical way of, of looking at it and distinguishing this one over that one. They just took what was usable. And when they took what was usable, they they made it into their own rather than trying to say, oh, we know we'll take this, but we won't take that. Although there, of course, there was debates and things, but it was the broad acceptance of of these sutras coming in that enabled Chan to kind of 
cherry pick the best uh, aspects of whether it was Abhidharma, Yogacara, um, uh, or um, Yamaka school, the middle way, all of these schools poured in and they were useful to the Chan practitioners. So at this point in time, we're beginning to get to a point where all of these things are becoming uh, known and useful. So um, Holmgren had quite a bit more, uh, I, I guess, recordings that we can refer to than Dao Xin. But he still maintained the idea of having a um, a questioning and answering. It had not gone to these stories or anecdotes of uh, of the uh, the Chan masters. Um, and uh, I kind of have to to smile a, a bit because I have to make sure I say. But both apply whether it's an an antidote or an antidote. Um, uh, it it applies. My my own joke in terms of actually the Dharma is an antidote. Antidote. Okay. First question. This is Hongjin um, in the early seventh uh, century. Why do you call the mind the fundamental teacher? The true mind exists and does not come from outside oneself. As a teacher, it does not even require a tuition fee. Nothing in all the three periods of time is more clear, or excuse me, is more dear to a person than one's mind. So the most dearest thing that you have, the most precious thing is mind. He's not saying my mind or your mind, he's talking about mind. And the idea of, of relating to this mind kind of because if we can awaken to mind, then we put aside the idea of kind of trying to salvage this um this body or self and go to what the true treasure is which is mind itself this is not easy for us to do because we are so egocentric in our ways we want to be able to take this body with us wherever we go and can you imagine you trying to get into heaven with your stinking body and they're going you can come in but your your body you have to leave but i don't want to leave my body you know, but that's not you. You would have a very hard time trying to to do that. So it's it's difficult. Um, hence, the treatise, the Vilamakriti Sutra, says the existence of sentient beings is dependent on the waves of false consciousness, the essence of which is illusory. So, first of all, some of you do not know probably what a sutra is. Um, uh, does anybody not know what a sutra is? Like, really not know? All right. See, he's up. We have one honest one up in the front. 
Nobody, everybody else knows what a sutra is. So if I called on one of you, you could expound for five minutes on what a sutra is. <laughs> a sutra is a, is a writing uh, often um, attributed to the Buddha or to the Buddha's disciples or to uh, to uh, well-known advisors or enlightened people like Wei Ming. Um, the 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 Buddha sutras begin with "Thus I've heard." Um, and so there's an issue as to whether there's uh, authenticity to some of the sutras, uh, and but it is not necessarily as important where we see that kind of like in the Christian doctrine and the doubting Thomas looking for the nail holes on Jesus's hands and feet. It we we take the sutras as the foundational um, documents or, or scriptures that enable us to study. Um, in the Mahayana, there's a class called Vyapula. And Vyapula sutras means that each one of them, even though they, they approach the subjects differently, have the Dharma there, the complete Dharma that needs to be studied. For instance, it's the Lotus Sutra, Vakamsaka Sutra, uh, Lankavatara Sutra. These are Vyapula Sutra. So if you studied just that one Sutra, you would get the essence of the of uh, the the Buddhist studies. They just approach it from different viewpoints. So this one, Vilamakriti Sutra, is a very interesting one because because it comes from a different class of sutra. Some sutras were uh, originally considered uh, Theravadan early sutras. And then there was the Mahayana sutras that came. And the Mahayana sutras, such as the Heart Sutra, the Prajna, uh, Mahaprajnaparamita Sutra, uh, which is a lar larger version, the Sutra of, of 8,000 lines, um, Diamond Sutra, all of these are uh, Mahayana class but are of what, what is referred to as wisdom class, sutras. And they, they present wisdom and they present the concept of, of emptiness and compassion. And there comes after that class, um, a, another class of sutra, which is the Tathagathagarbha Sutra. These are, um, let's say more challenging, um, but also more rewarding. Um, in that class of sutras, you have the Tathagathagarbha Sutra, you have Queen Shermala's Lion's Roar Sutra, um, the um, Vilamakriti Sutra, the one that we're looking at now, the Ratnagotra, the Vibhaga Sutra. I don't expect you guys to remember this. I just want to orient you to towards it so you can see the depth of Buddhist study is very great. You know, we're not looking at one single book that's 800 pages long. We're looking at thousands and thousands of pages. Even the, the Vatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Adornment Sutra is probably three times the, the body of, uh, of the Christian Bible. Just that, that one sutra. And when you look at the sutras, when you look at it, and I'm looking at, I'm studying, I'm going, I never heard of this sutra. I never heard of this one. And I'm like so blown away by how much material there is, is it's absolutely incredible but on the other hand i have one student he's uh been practicing for many many years 
And his concentration is just the Lotus Sutra because it's a Vyapula Sutra. And he's he's uh, kind of become a specialist, let's say, on just the Lotus Sutra. Um, and that's all he needs to study because it being a Vyapula Sutra, it points directly to mind. So I'm giving you this because some of you are, are more advanced, some of you are beginners, but you as, as beginners also should know the depth and the uh, the volume of Buddhist material. And none of that includes any of the treatises on these, which are equally uh, very uh, in-depth. But so if one wants to embark on the practice, uh, all of these are incredible um, ways to do it. I think probably the people who become journey journeymen or women in in the practice have been practicing for a while. They get to the point where they go, "What do I study?" Has any of you gotten to that point? Raise your hand if you got to the point you don't even know what you what where you you study. Yeah, you know what you're studying. <laughs> Because it, because it's something that you have to at some point go okay I I I have to have a direction in my study because there's so much there's not a possibility if you say I'm going to read the 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 Vatamsaka Sutra the Huayan Jing that's about that thick like that and. And by the time you get to the 10,000th name of a Buddha in the first, first pages, you know, you're pretty burned out. So you have to kind of look at it and see where you study, but you have to use your heart and also uh, guidance of a well-known advisor to help you kind of navigate through where you begin to study. Most people who are Buddhist, you know, they they're reading a Master Shen Yang's book. Now, if you're Chinese and reading Master Shen Yang's books, he's got a veritable library of books. I mean, so many of them in Chinese. In English, there's not too many. So you can run through those fairly quickly, um, you know, three years, four years. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, we're measuring things in Kalpas here. <laughs> <laughs> but in the snap of a finger and about 10 kalpas I went through all of those and started looking at the, the other sutras and we look at these and we try to to, to find what direction we go we, we follow our heart and it's very interesting um, and you don't necessarily have to start at the beginning of any sutra there's times where it's very very strange where somebody's asked me a question and I'll just go to a sutra, open it up, and there's the answer to the question on that very page. And, um, and it's quite universal in terms of its training. It does take time to learn and understand the Sanskrit words because a lot of stuff is in Sanskrit, but it's, it's not bad, um, you know. So, so you, you, know, you can impress your friends like, if they drop their drink at, at, at lunch, you just say, Anicca, 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 impermanence, it's gone. I'm sure they'll be take solace in your Sanskrit words. But in any case, I wanted to let you know, because some of you may not know what a sutra is. This is Villa Makriti Sutra, 
from the Tathagata Garbha class. Uh, the Tathagata Garbha class of sutras are sutras that are um, Buddha nature. So they emphasize Buddha nature, which is very, very interesting. And um, it, it expands upon that of the the Prajnaparamita Sutras, which say that everything is ultimately empty because it belongs to mind. But this uh, wisdom that one gets from understanding that is called Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi. So where have you heard that word before? The Heart Sutra. So it talks about Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi, which is this highest perfected wisdom, which can not even be called wisdom because it points directly to mind. And the, the product of this wisdom is compassion. Um, and so this is the reason why in this wisdom sutra, we have Avalokiteshvara Guanyin Bodhisattva, who is, um, expounding the Dharma here, not Manjusri. And the reason being is because they're pointing to this wisdom, pointing to compassion. This is very important for us, whether we're a beginner or more advanced, because we, we look at these things and we have to see, how does this all fit? Where does this compassion come from? And if everything's illusory, who gets this compassion? And how can we deliver illusory sentient beings this is all very confusing. But, but the Buddha nature sutras help bring that all into focus. That we see that everything is a Buddha nature. Even though something is illusory, it still belongs to mind. And we see things in this way that there is a disturbance in the Dharma body. So there's a natural interest to take care of that uh, that disturbance. And so when we see things in this way, it's different. We, we begin to understand this unbridled compassion that is there, which is such a pivotal part of Mahayana Buddhism. And you don't have to be a Buddhist or, you know, uh, be a card-carrying Buddhist to um, um, to use that to use compassion on a daily basis not a compassion based on that this person belongs to your club your neighborhood your family whatever affiliation you have you know um if you're a republican you want to want to give compassion to republicans um or rich people i'm not saying anything about republicans uh or or democrats or whatever those liberal leftist um no uh it's not that way it is it is just simply everyone gets compassion this is not easy for us to do but imagine if you can you can um transfer merit to your enemies and see them as any other person or any sentient being or or whatever you would not have enemies. And if everybody works this way, eventually the enemies would, would be gone. There wouldn't be I, me, mine. 
another Beatles song. Okay. So we back to back to the thing after this little short lesson on on sutras. Hence the treatise, Vilamakriti Sutra says. Oh, and by the way, Vilamakriti Sutra is very sorry. I have to add a postscript to this because this is good stuff and it's good for all of you and, and some of you who are practicing for a long time, some people of a different gender than mine will appreciate this too. And those who are not monastics, which probably include everybody here, um, the Vilamakriti was a person that was a rich person, believe it or not. Uh, they didn't say what his political affiliation was, but <laughs> but he was a rich person, but he was a great practitioner. And he, uh, the sutra is very interesting because um, the Buddha plays like, uh, what? Well, excuse me, he plays like he's sick in bed so that, so that the Buddha will know that he's feeling ill, the Buddha knows all what's going on. But then he goes to each of his disciples and asks them to go to, to Vilamakriti's house to ask him how, uh, why he's sick. And um, and so none of them want to go there because they each have a Vilamakriti story where they were doing something. For instance, Sariputra was was meditating and and uh, Vilma Kurti came up to him and says, this is not how you meditate. You meditate by doing this. You do this, do this. You don't just cross your legs. Essentially, it was Chan 101 that he was teaching him. <laughs> Seriously. And he says, and because of that, I don't want to go to see him. You know, I'm, he's going he's gonna to pull my pants down again. <laughs> and because all, essentially, this is what he was doing to all, all the disciples until he finally got to Manjushri. But the story of Vilamakriti is also like the story of Queen Shirmala, which is another Tathagatagarbha Sutra. In the Vilamakriti one, there is a goddess that's in there. And, and all of these sutras, they have stories where it shows that it doesn't matter what gender you are, that, that ultimately it's not gender, it is mine. So if you were a goddess, you know, and Sariputra was challenging one and said, don't you wish you were a man? You know, uh, so what for? Then you could become enlightened. And you know what she did to him? She turned him into a woman. <laughs> and Sariputra said, this is very strange. <laughs> Can I be turned back? You know, but to, to show... To show that another time, sorry, Buddha questioned one and said, "Oh, you're a woman," and she was the queen of a, uh, she not a princess of 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 a, a naga, which is a snake, and and the goddess went, you know, you you think I have to be like a man to become enlightened? And then in that moment, instantly she became enlightened. Buddha appears, confirms the whole thing. Sorry, Buddha sulks off again. So sorry, the reason Sariputra shows up in this, like where Sariputra show up in the Heart Sutra, right? No, Sariputra, form is not an emptiness. Empty is not in form. You and the rest of the Theravadans go away. Or read and listen to this because he represented Theravadan thought. 
And that's why he is in the Heart Sutra. Because everything there in the Heart Sutra proceeds to, to uh, negate the contentions in the Abhidharma that everything is real. So when you understand these things, then all these things come to life. It's very important. So when you see it and you see, oh, this is what, what I'm learning, then you know that where this was coming at in terms of, let's say, this um, quasi-religious philosophy that's there and, and this, this transitioning into Mahayana. So all of this is happening. And so in the Vilamakriti Sutra, all of that has already happened. And now they're dealing with the issue as to Buddha nature. And Buddha nature is a very, a very tricky thing. It, it looks like we say, oh, if I tell you, you all have Buddha nature, you will um, anthropomorphize that, meaning that you'll, you'll convert it into something of a human concept and human understanding. But it, it isn't in that way. It, it is in the way that this Buddha nature is beyond those kinds of, of uh, conditions or concepts or descriptions. It is simply the thusness of everything. And uh, um, so in any case, we, we get back to where I was going. I haven't got there yet, but I, I have to tell you some of this stuff because it's good for you. It's good for you to learn, especially some of you that have been putting in some years. I want to show you how deep it gets. The existence of sentient beings is dependent on these waves of false consciousness essence of illusory. The essence of which is illusory. Now here comes the payoff. Okay. All of that was just a preface to kind of help you along, but it says, by clearly maintaining the awareness of mind, and we won't go to the next comma, but we're not going to go beyond that comma until we understand what this is. So it says, by clearly, clearly, the mind is clear. Maintaining, meaning that is continuous. What is continuous? The awareness of mind, not the awareness of your mind, but the awareness of mind. So when you sit to meditate, we, we are using the awareness of mind. And every moment we're using the awareness of mind, we're using it continually. These are Gilbert's elements in terms of what needs to be there in any kind of, uh, of a practice of meditation. We start off, relax the body, relax the mind. You're aware in the present moment. The present moment then becomes your clarity. Because in that moment, when you're in the present moment, you're clear about what you're doing. If you start thinking of something that happened in the past, you're no longer have this clarity or what may happen in the future. Oh, I'm getting close to there. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, I'm going to get through uh, enlightenment. Then you're no longer in the present moment. But when you're in the present moment, this is not the present moment of a human being or a samsaric present moment. It is the present moment 
of the Buddha mind. It's different because its perception is different. We are no longer looking at things from the idea of a life and being. So we move the camera back and then we, we discover, lo and behold, when we move the camera back from the scene, that that which we thought was directing everything was a player in the play, yourself. You never saw that before. But now, there you are. You are a projection on the screen. And you're using the mind's awareness to be aware of this so that you no longer can claim yourself and yourself goes, what happened, you know? How did I get into this movie? You were always in the movie. You just never realized you, by trick, you, you perceive yourself to be mine, but you're an imposter. That's why they say the existence of sentient beings is dependent upon the waves of false consciousness. False consciousness is the idea that you are thinking, that you are meditating. If you sit and you meditate and you, you have the idea, I am meditating, get off the cushion. Get out of my chan hall. You're using up vital oxygen other people could use to practice right. This is not how you meditate. What I'm giving you is right view how mind works. When you sit on that cushion, thank God, no, nobody left. <laughs> thank Buddha. Okay. So the thing is, is, is that when you, you sit there, you sit there with mind, not self. If you try to practice from and try to make yourself better, you'll only be able to be a good Boy Scout or Girl Scout here in this world. But you can never leave. Eagle song. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So the thing is, sorry. <laughs> My mind is nothing but a song. But but in any case, when we see the things this way, it makes a difference because we know we cannot leave. So we have to give that up. In the very deep, complex uh, um, ways, it's saying that you, <coughs> you have to jump into the void or the abyss. Excuse me for a second. That sounds scary. Like, let's say I was able to conjure up a big hole right here in the front and, and said, if you want to become enlightened, jump in the hole. And you, you come up to it. I think Ian would dive in head first, you know, like <laughs> swan dive. Michael would be taking a look at it and saying, maybe I can do something, he, and he'd throw him in. <laughs> Purely for experimental purpose. <laughs> but there's the void, there's the abyss. What's on the other side? Jump in and find out. Yeah, but I, I mean, 
I don't want to go in. Like, you know, you jump first, right? Well, you jump in the hole. All of a sudden, there's there it is. And you go, where's it go to? You have, I can't tell you, you have to find out. Well, I might be jumping into hell. I don't know. Maybe it goes all the way to China. You don't <laughs> know. Where did you get here? No. And you pop up over there and they're just going to be looking at Mogwe, Mogwe. Like <laughs> demon, demon pops out of the ground. How did you get here? I don't know. My point is this, is, and although I joke about it, you have to freely give up the idea of a, of a life and being to, to find out. It's an exchange. You, you can't fudge it. Like, you know, like, I can see you, you still have holding on to the edge, you know, and you're trying to look <laughs> down to see what's there. You have to let go with faith. That's what keeps us from not, not getting it because we don't have the faith to let go of the self. So the self is there. And the thing um, about the self is one, it's very clever. It will trick you into thinking something. You don't know, need to jump into that hole. That hole's for fools. You're not a fool, are you? No fool would jump in that hole without knowing what's there. No. Then stay here. You know, we'll die together. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing about it, besides being clever, it's very afraid. Oh, I don't know. You know, you 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 dip your 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 toe into the void, it disappears. Ooh, you pull it back. You know, count your toes. <laughs> I don't want to jump in the void. I don't want to go there. But when you meditate, you have to let go. You have to let go. Nobody, you had a question? Yeah. Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, part of this talk was making me think about something in Suzuki uh, Roshi's book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, about like if you find the Buddha, he, he says, like if you find the Buddha, kill him. And I, I always found that phrase interesting, but I didn't fully comprehend it. It was something clicked now while you were talking, but I'm just curious, is this, are these ideas connected somehow? Okay, because you may not hear him. He said it reminded him of, of uh, Suzuki's book where it said, if you encounter the, the Buddha, kill him, kill the Buddha. And um, so uh, it, it's kind of a, a strange thing because it reminds me of a, a talk I was given in New York. And there was one student that was there there and he said i i had asked shifu this question you know uh, a long time ago and he never really gave me an answer and 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 i'm going to ask you the same question you know <laughs> he's a westerner okay so that's why i was talking like that and so i said okay i um i will tell you the um what he means, the answer to your question, but if you don't get it, you have to kill yourself. <laughs> and and he's, he went and mouthed the words, I killed myself. And I said, yeah, you have to kill yourself, you know. 
And, and then I said, and, and kill the Buddha too. And then so the people went after after I talked to, to them. He got, got the thing, but they said, do you realize that you were on the radio? <laughs> I'm going, oh my God, this is New York. There's so many kooks out there. Who knows what, what they could do, you know? They may not kill themselves, but they'd be looking for the Buddha to kill. <laughs> but but the idea here is is the, talking about killing the Buddha is killing the concept of the Buddha, killing the idea that the Buddha is separate from you, something extrinsic from you. So if the Buddha shows up in front of you and goes, ta-da, you just go, no, you know, what are you doing here? This is an illusion. So so. The thing is, is that because the Buddha is intrinsically with, with, within, or you're actually within the, as phenomena, you're intrinsically in the Buddha. Okay, so that's kind of what, so this is kind of triggering that with what you're doing, which is what I'm intending to do. So you're, you know, I would say out of the mouths of babes, there comes a profound wisdom. So it's good. Okay, and again, there. I'm taking my time going through this because it isn't necessarily to get to the end. It, um, first, it's, the whole thing is to get to the end. So there's, there's a, another song, um, a Mexican song, where the person was talking to a mule skinner and, and the person says, it's not the purpose, you know, the, the object is not for, for one to be the first one it's to ultimately just get to where you have to go. And that's the thing. And so, so we, we just have to practice in this way. So this practice, when I talk about the void, it means letting go of, of your preconceived notions, your concepts of, of, of what reality is. And letting go of the idea of that this world is a concrete world. It is projected in mind. It has to be projected in mind. It can't be anywhere else. And there's nothing outside of mind. When we see things in this way, then it gives us faith that we can let go of it. But we don't want to let go of it. This is a big problem. And... Um, if we can let go, we can um, we can save everyone. But if we can't, we can't even save ourselves. Okay, so we continue. Nobody wanted to take me on, up on jumping into the void, I guess, right now. Maybe in the evening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So clearly maintaining awareness of the mind. The false mind will not be activated. Voila. It is this way. If you maintain awareness of the mind, when you're meditating, the false mind will not be activated. So what does it mean that the, the, the false mind will not be activated? Because we don't want to go to the next set of of words until we understand what this means. So what does activated mean? It, it starts coming up. If we keep our place in mind, even if 
there's images that are coming up because we're not going to stop the images coming up in mind. All those things that come up from the past, from the future, from the present, whatever, they're all going to be coming up. I, me, mine, I, me, mine, all of them. They happen all the time. That's Beatles song. Um, <laughs> and, and in any case, when they're arising, we stay with the the Buddha mind in the present moment. Why? Because we know all of those things that are arising belong to mind. They don't belong to your mind. They belong to mine. So they're perfectly in their place. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to greet them. We don't have to banish them. If we tried to banish them, where would they go? <laughs> you know, you're you're pushing out um, your boss from the mind. Where are you pushing me to? Don't you know I belong here? You put me here. Why are you trying to push me out? Where am I going to go? And then your boss shows up again. Where did you go? You pushed me out of bounds, so I just got back in line. And now I'm coming up again. Because you can't, you, you can't push things out of mind. You just see things as they are. And so when you are practicing with this awareness in the present moment, everything that appears there is mind. You're there. You're there. Welcome to mind. You've been using it your entire lifetime. And the lifetimes before that we can't even count how many times, you know, not including when you're a chipmunk, a snake, a ghost, a hell dweller, a heaven dweller, whatever. You never got it, but now you have a chance to get it now. Not bad. And so all you do is you see that everything that is manifesting, everything that moves is mind. It's part of what we call the phenomenal nature of mind. Phenomenal because it appears. The noumenon aspect of mind. Now we're going to Tian Tai school. So for all you intellectuals, I'm giving you a tour. And we're now arrived at the, at the Tian Tai school and saying noumenon phenomenon. Okay. And so the noumenon phenomenon, then noumenon is what appears. It's conditional. The noumenon is from where it comes from. We switch over to Tathagata Garba, and it is produced by the Buddha womb. It, everything is manifested in there. We go back to the Prajnaparamita schools, and it's the Dharmakaya. The Yogacara school, it's the Alaya Vishnana. So all of these things we see in, and and they can be interpreted in different in different ways, but it's ultimately the same. It's phenomenal. And so the noumenon is the base. It is where the projections are are projected upon, but not only that, but when we look at it and we say Tathagata Garba or the alive none of the eighth consciousness. All of these things then are where it's produced. It's not just the screen, but it's produced there. So it's not the screen because we say it's a projection, but it's not like old time projection where you have a projector here and you project it on that wall there. 
that is a big screen TV that's projecting it onto its face. So it's not just a screen, but it is what enables phenomena to appear in accordance with causes and conditions. Once you understand that, do you know perfectly why you're here in this place right now? You know that you're here, you know. I can say, you're a Buddha, you're a Buddha, you're a Buddha, you're a Buddha. And I can also say, you're a phenomena, you don't exist, you're an illusion, you're a bubble in a stream, whatever. And I would not be wrong. It is just in matter and how we look at things that the mind is there, but it's not defined by the by the phenomena. It is what defines the phenomena. So it's it's very important. You know, Shifu was saying that we should never be defined by the phenomena. We should define the phenomena. And we can. Why? Because everything is created by the mind. So if we want to make a pure land, voila, here we are. In this pure land. We want to make it bad, then you know you start acting out and doing whatever, and all of a sudden it, it, you try, you know, you create a, a foul situation because of your intentions. But that's pitiable. You're, you're only harming yourself. If you harm anybody, even an enemy, you harm yourself. It doesn't make sense. The thing that I was pointing to lately to show the craziness of investing in this world. Would anybody create a gun? Why do we have guns? If you think this place is so good, why do we have guns? Who in the heck created a gun? Or a spear or a stone? Why do we need those things? Do we really need those? When we've got nuclear weapons, we can blow the heck out of everybody. It's insanity, right? And yet we love this place. Do you know why the aliens, even though they buzz around all the time, they never land? <laughs> because this is a slum. <laughs> don't go there they kill each other <laughs> my spaceship has bullet holes <laughs> we do that I mean if we see something in the sky we don't know we want to shoot it down <laughs> we see somebody of the wrong color we want to shoot them much less if they're green <laughs> This is the truth. This is the truth. And when we look at things and we see them in the right way, then what happens is that it enables us to go, you know what? This place needs cleaning up. It needs to be dusted really strongly, vacuumed. Take away all of the things that happen. Take away the sorrow. That's what a Chan practitioner does. We try to take away the sorrow that's here. We try to help. 
and we try not to be a source of sorrow or pain. And in this way, little by little, we change this environment. And we can do that. So living in this way, you're already a bodhisattva. But you're a Buddha anyway. But you're using bodhisattva actions in this world. Okay. So this is what we do. So it's not enough to teach you to, to how to get out of here, but why you need to come back. And why not to fear, fear mine. Only the self fears mine because it's afraid of being um, extinguished. That's what they call nirvana, right? Blowing out the light. Oh, don't blow out the light. You blow out the light. We're going to be in the dark. No, you're in the dark already. So, so we try to use the illumination of mind itself, the radiant infinite light of mind. Would you trade? Let's say, would you trade your car for that? No, I'm not on my car. I need my car to go to work. I, I can't trade it for the infinite light. <laughs> I mean, maybe his car, but not mine. You see the kind of the silliness in terms of all of this. But I try to present it in a way that makes it easy so we can kind of go instead of saying, you know, you're all going to be damned to hell if you don't do this. No, no, it's not that way. It is just using reason to see things. No, I make light of it to make it more palatable, more that you can digest it a bit. But it, it, it is in this way. Um, so he says, by clearly maintaining the awareness of mind, the false mind will not be activated and you'll re reach a state of birthlessness. And you go, do I want to reach a state of birthlessness? <laughs> like, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? What does a state of birthlessness mean, Professor? That <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, uh, it's all here already, the unborn. Which is? Mind. Mind, you see? You could have just said mind. <laughs> kind of rummage through his Rolodex. You guys don't know what a Rolodex is anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, therefore, it's known as a fundamental teacher because it, you reach mind. So, so in, in this way, we study mind because it's the fundamental teacher. It teaches us about samsara. How would it not know about samsara? It created it. We don't know that. We think that we were born under a leaf or something. We don't know how that happened. Shifu, he said that the scientists can tell you how you were born to your parents, but not why. Mind can tell you that. 
there was a story of uh, this this um, he was called the incredible monk, and he would roam the the, the countryside. And so so uh, one day there was they were having a, a a wedding, and in the in the small towns everybody would go to the wedding. And so they saw, oh, the incredible monks coming. Come, 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 come. They were so happy that he was there. And so, so they put him there at, by the head of the table. And he's just looking at everybody and smiling and laughing and smiling and laughing and, and just looking at everybody. And they're going, incredible monk, why are you smiling and laughing? He says, so very interesting. And they go, what do you mean so very interesting? He says, yes. The all of the guests are the 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 barn animals, and and then the um, the groom is is getting married to his grandmother because he was seeing the karma of everything, and so he saw how from lifetime to lifetime things change, and how kind of curious that this. This this groom was marrying his grandmother that had passed away before and reincarnated again, and so we see things differently. We we don't see them in the context of this life. We see that just like they say, like ten kalpas are present in the present moment or more. One said that there was a bodhisattva with the snap of his fingers could make a hundred kalpas pass. We don't understand that from this side. You know, we get bored just standing in line at Starbucks. But it can happen that way. Because mind is capable of that. We are. But we want to trade it for, for this life. We don't want to jump in the, the abyss or the void. Okay. I'm halfway down the page of the first page. So you guys have to stay here till I, <laughs> I finish <laughs> the entire thing. Why is the mind of ordinary people superior to the mind of Buddhas? Oh, wait, wait a minute. What is he saying here? He's saying the mind of ordinary people are superior to the mind of Buddhas. That's that's a big jump, a big leap of faith, right? So let's find out. You cannot escape birth and death by constantly reflecting on the Buddhas. Wasn't that what you were saying? Is if you encounter the Buddha, kill the Buddha. Because you cannot escape birth and death by meeting the Buddha. You have to realize that originally you are using the Buddha mind. So if you see it externally, it doesn't do you any good. Look, there goes the Buddha. Get his autograph. You know, we can sell it for a lot of money. Imagine what the Buddha's autograph would be worth. <laughs> would you trade that for enlightenment? <laughs> and then they, um, 
Okay. Divorce reflected on the Buddha's divorce from yourself, but you will reach the other shore of nirvana by maintaining the awareness of your own fundamental mind. This is the refrain. Okay, if this was a song, this is a refrain. This time, the first time he said, clearly maintaining awareness of the mind. This time is maintaining awareness of your own fundamental mind. So the emphasis here is that intrinsically, fundamentally, the mind that you're using right now is not other than the Buddha mind. You just have to maintain this awareness. What is maintaining the awareness? Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Don't, even though we're in samsara, don't fall asleep and think that I am, I'm separate from things. I have my life in being. My foot hurts or whatever it is. I'm sleepy. I'm hungry. I'm this or I'm that. Just forget about that. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask a question? So you just said you just have to maintain this awareness. So, but in a sense, so what does it mean seen from a mind perspective? This having to maintain, you just have to maintain this awareness if there's no you there which can maintain the awareness. Well, the you is kind of a, a theoretical you. So when when they say that, let me see how, how he said it. Um, that you, yeah. Maintaining, so the thing is, this you could be a plural possessive type of a reference of of mine, even though there's not even a possessive of uh, speaking grammatically. Um, I don't even know if that was correct. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking like this. I'm southern um, politicians making up my own words. <laughs> so so in any case, um, you're right, that you, you caught the you. You got me. <laughs> you got Holmgren. But but it's okay because what you're doing is you're looking at this, and this is the practice, is maintaining this awareness. So when he says you, he's presupposing you haven't got there yet to know that there's not a you there. So so it is in this way, but yeah, there's no duality there. So and, and so your question is a good question because when we sit to meditate, we don't have the idea of duality. We don't have the idea that this is looking at the method and this is separate from, from that, the method or where it's being projected on. Those two things, just like I make the picture, are one and the same. So there's not really a you, but in order to communicate in samsara, sometimes you have to use these kinds of things. I try to avoid them sometimes when I do it, but it, it, it's not so easy. But to follow up to this, this there's still this uh, uh, having to, so it's as if mind has to be trained to stay on the method, something like this. So that's like uh, having to maintain the present moment. So this, Absolutely. When you sit to meditate, can you stay in the present moment? <laughs> Hook them up to the lie detector test. <laughs> no, I'll answer for you. No, it's not that easy. But you have to make the effort to try to maintain this awareness. 
Okay. That is how you get there is by maintaining that awareness. So whether we call it you or who or whatever, whatever is there, mind has to, it has to be mind looking at um, a, an illusion created by mind projected onto mind. And, and as the mind is in this way, maintaining that this is the fundamental mind, there's no you in the equation. Okay. I mean, your question's a legitimate question. No, but it, it is in this way that it is not you that is cranking this up as much as this is, you know, how I'm presenting it is how you look at it, you, how <laughs> mine looks at it. You see how easy it is to get you involved in this thing. Okay. Therefore, the Buddha says in the Diamond Sutra, anyone who views me in terms of form and seeks me by um, by source practicing uh, a heretic path um, and is unable to see the Tathagatha. So if somebody is looking, is why in the Diamond Sutra it says that the Buddha cannot be known um, by, uh, by any form um, or any marks of the 32 marks of the Buddha. If you try to look for the Buddha like that, you know, you're not going to find anything because the Buddha is essentially formless. But encompasses all forms and creates all forms. Therefore, it is known that maintaining the awareness of the true mind is superior to reflecting on the Buddha's divorced of yourself. So that's why they're saying that is saying. You know, if you try to say, I want to become a Buddha, you cannot, you cannot get there in that way. I, I had uh, this one young uh, attorney, and um, once I, I told her how much money I made, and she goes, I want to make that money. And I go, no, you don't. She goes, what? I said, no, you don't. What do you mean? Because you're not willing to put in the work that I put in to make that kind of money. You just want to make the money, but you can't, but you don't do the things that you need to do. So here, what they're saying is don't hold the, the Buddha to this high esteem, put him on an altar, and then pray that you can become the Buddha in that way. It's not going to work. Can you please come down? At least give me an autograph, you know? It's not that way. You have to put the mind into it. That's why the whole refrain here is maintaining this awareness of the mind. Awareness. Now, this came probably five years after I've been telling people to meditate uh, on awareness of, of, the, of the mind. And when I read this, I was going, I can use this in teaching. Okay, in addition, the word superior is only used as a word of encouragement in the context of a religious practice. In reality, the essence of the ultimate fruit of nirvana is uniformly the same and without duality, meaning that everything is what we call a state of upika or equipoise or equanimity. So when we see everything, we see everything with nothing sticking out. No, 
winning the Nobel Prize or winning a Grammy or an Emmy or an Oscar or whatever, you know, um, attracts you. Everything is just equal. Why? Because that's the way mind is. We don't see it that way because, you know, we distinguish between a piece of uh, broccoli and a donut. No. Which one is better for you? I'll eat the donut after I eat the piece of broccoli. <laughs> so, but but anyway, we there's nothing superior. It is just simply what we call ordinary and mundane. And and when you talk about realizations, it's kind of that way. You know, um, there was one young monk, and 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 his his uh, master confirmed on on him that that he had seen his original nature. So all the other young monks, they were so surprised because he was so young and did that. So so they went and said, you know, um, how does he feel? What does he do? So the master said, go ask him yourself, you know. And so the monk was there and, and, and he was just sitting there, you know, kind of laughing and crying. And and then they they asked him, monk, you know, you know, the master said that you had seen your true nature. How do you feel? And he goes, as miserable as ever. <laughs> and they're going, huh? I'll leave that one for you to figure out. Okay. All right. Questions. Any questions? No questions. You guys all got this. Could you explain again all of the difference between contemplation and action? Very good. Her question is explain uh, con contemplation and the difference of, between contemplation and thought. Sometimes contemplation is equated with deep thought, profound thought. This is not the contemplation I'm talking about. You know, there's a statue, the Rodin statue, where, where the guy's sitting there naked with going like just going, I wish I had some clothes. <laughs> That's thinking. That's thinking. We we don't we we this is so a lot of times you'll see where they'll say that and they'll say oh you shouldn't contemplate but the reason is 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 that they're equating that with this deep thought contemplation is a direct experience with whatever you're doing so if we are thinking of the of the method and we're looking at the method we're thinking of the breath. I am thinking of this breath. Now you're creating thinking um, because you're creating a duality between the consciousness of the breath and the object of that consciousness, which is the breath itself. So we, we create that kind of a, uh, an idea and we're using the mind, which is the mind organ, so if we do this by all the six uh, senses, they're called the 18 realms, but all of those are all um, empty. There's nothing there. There's no duality there. But we perceive it to be that way. That That is thinking. So we're thinking of something. Even if we say, oh, I'm contemplating, it's not true contemplation as I mean it. So I'm very happy you mentioned this because contemplation is a direct um, 
experience of whatever your whatever is is there that it's not separate from mind. So the method is seeing not separate from mind. The mind is just attentive to that. Because in the mind function, that function is to see that method. But because it it's constantly repeating, it loses its movement as something would happen. So it doesn't interfere with the mind. It fuses with it. As in direct contemplation, when we go outside, we look at a rose, we look at a rock, whatever, there's no thought there. But there's function. The mind is actually more functional, more vibrant, more spontaneous than if we have thoughts that interfere with, with that. So if somebody is going to say, okay, you need to swim from this end of the pool to the other, mind will go, well, wait, how deep is it? You know, how cold is the water? You know, what's in the water? Are there any crocodiles or whatever? You know, mind knows right away. It, it doesn't conjure up useless fears, but if it does see a tail there, then it'll certainly investigate what's on the other end of that tail. But it, it functions perfectly. It, it doesn't create false fears or false discriminations or, you know, whatever. It just does whatever it does. So in, in, uh, um, in lecturing, I can actually lecture without thought. Of course, I, I connect certain thoughts together in order to communicate with you because I cannot communicate with you in mind but i am actually doing that as well it's just that some of you will, will be able to receive it some of you won't so in any time when i'm communicating i'll communicate on basic cable which is whatever you listen to and then profound where you go oh i see i get that that's a profound and then the esoteric is you could call it like a secret channel. It's not really secret. It's just not readily available because it's not on words and um, uh, and terms or anything. It is just the heart of mind that's being communicated. So uh, sometimes you can receive that even though you don't know you're receiving it, but it feels good. But none of that is thought. It is just simply coming out. So you're capable of doing that. You could be at work and not have a thought, yet still carry out your job because you're not sticking to any of the thoughts. If you're there and you're just going, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to really want to do this. What time is it? Is it lunchtime? All of that's thought. But have you ever in, engrossed in some work that it goes so quickly? Go, wow, I finished that really fast. I didn't realize that you know, the time or anything, because you don't have a thought. You still carry out the work. It's what the Chinese say, Wu Nian. Do you know the term Wu Nian? This is Wu Nian. This is uh, Hui Neng's Wu Nian, meaning no thought. It doesn't mean that, that the mind is blank. It just means that it doesn't attach to the thoughts. So it just simply carries out function. But there's no self that carries out that function 
there's dysfunction. And so the mind can open and close this mouth and make noises in accordance with causes and conditions of what needs to be there. And so it says the things and it says it in accordance with this particular crowd, you know, um, and to make you feel comfortable. So it can say things very humorous and also very serious, but it does that kind of in a, in a mixture to, so that it's more palatable. If I just sit here and, and talk about things like a, a scholar, you'll all be asleep, you know, and um, it won't be of any use. So, so the mind just functions naturally. And then that's contemplation. So in this moment, my mind is contemplating, presenting the lecture. Everything is in this way. It doesn't mean that if this happens, all of a sudden you're just there lying on the ground going, oh, santo, 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 everything's so blissful and everything. If that happens, then the master will come and kick you, you know? <laughs> and so you don't, you can't play with those things. So, the story I haven't told for, for a, a long time where people mimic things was this one student. Uh, I won't have them do it, but this is really fun. The one student, he, um, he was going to the master and, and, and trying to follow what the master said. So everything he did, he would go to the master and try to show the master, you know, his ability. And, um, and so, he said, no, you know, you, you still have self, you still have self. So, so, so finally one day he goes in front of the master. I did this actually with Eon in, in Jinsong where there's like 300 people there and, um, and like him playing like the student. And, and so the student goes in front of the master and he just collapses, boom, right on the floor. So loud, boom, like that. And so the master's just looking at his student that's there. And and he he's going, what are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> and and you so he, so the, the the monkey goes, you say we have to abandon all like human types of traits. So I'm dead. <laughs> and the master looks at him and says, dead men don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> And and so that that's us mimicking the idea of of realizations. It doesn't work. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Um, so I, I had an opportunity to dig into many uh, sutras in the Buddhism class I was taking, but um, uh, when uh, and uh, I I even uh, acquired some great insights um, through the understanding of, of the lines uh, in those. Sutras, but when I really question it, uh, this understanding truly aided uh, my practice. Um, uh, that that comes in short. So my question, it's really one question, separating two. Uh, the first is, uh, how can we make proper use of the of the sutras? And the second is, uh, what it, what are the uh, sutras in relationship to our practice? All right. So what he's saying is, how how do we use the study of sutras in our our everyday practice, and and how do they relate to our everyday practice? They're primers of of mind. If you read a sutra, all of them are reflecting mind. They're, 
you just go back to read a sutra and you'll see that when the um the great bodhisattva Galakatitsvara is coursing through the deep prajna paramita, he perceived all five skanda are empty. That perception is the mind perception right from the very beginning. We miss that. We just go, oh, he perceived that. And and the next line is that um that all the five skanda are empty, right? And one of those skandhas is perception. So how could he perceive anything with his empty perception? So it's teaching you, but they're puzzles. Again, the sutras have three channels. Basic cable, which is just you read it and you go, oh, that's good. What did you read? I don't know what I read, but I read it. <laughs> All right. You get very the, the profound. Let me try to figure out what this means. And so you really try to provide. And if you can do that, then the esoteric channel um, will come through sometimes. And and that's the channel that's speaking in mind. It's not, not really speaking like a, a, a voice or a disembodied voice. It's just communicating its nature. And so this is how we approach it. But we approach the sutras with sincerity. We don't go to the next line until we understand what's there. What what use is it to read the sutras if you don't understand it? They're not going to yield their wisdom so easily. You just simply reading them doesn't do that. You have to 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 really absorb it or let them absorb you. When you can do this, it will work. Once there was a student that was. Um, he wanted to uh, to get further, so he was studying. And every every day, he would see his master with the scrolls, looking at the scrolls and looking at it. And he said, "Shippu, you know, I'm not getting this. You know, I I, I can't figure this out." And so so then um, the master said, "Well, then maybe you should go to this other master on such and such mountain." and go there and do it. So then he started studying with that master and he went to him, I can't get it again. So stay six months more. And then I still can't get it. Stay stay a month more. And then a week. And then a, and finally he got to it and says, stay one more day. And if you don't get it by then, just kill yourself. And I'm so surprised, right? I do, I do not advocate suicide, okay? But he said, kill. So he was so shocked, but he practiced so hard. Then in the evening, he, he, he got a realization. So then when he went back to see his master, his master was there with a scroll, you know, come in, you know, and he's reading his, his sutra like that. And the, and the student came to him and said, it's such a shame. You're looking for the secret in the in in the words on the sutra when the answer lies three feet in front of it. So he had penetrated through the sutra. He so he understood the secret meaning that's there, but it's not there in the words. It's in the processing of it. This is how you 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 approach a sutra. This is called penetrating the sutra. So don't go to the next line until you understand what you just read. If you don't, you're just a good reader. Okay. And 
there's some good stories in there, but I mean, you know, you could read a novel and be more amused. Okay, in the back, please. Yes, so you can penetrate her sutra. You can read the words. You think you understand it, but you have never experienced that. Is that truly you? You experience. You really practice and will understand that. Just like the Heart Sutra, just so many words, very limited. You read it ten thousand times. Do you truly understand it? I think I read it many times. I didn't understand it until truly practice that. And one day it feels something, just a little bit. But for that little bit, that helped me to understand a lot. So I wouldn't read a lot of sutra. I would rather practice. That's my per personal feeling. So I would like you to give me a little bit comment, please. Thank you. It, it, in my personal practice, um, I, I had a real hard time understanding sutras when I first started or anything. And I had all of these questions that, um, and I kept asking this one monk who was visiting and I went, and what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And then he just went, stop. He goes, I have the book. I will send you that will answer all your questions. I said, really? And he says, yeah, when I go back to New York, I will give you the, the book. And the, the book was um, the doctrine of mere consciousness. You, you can say what it is. You, you heard of that book? Yes. But never read those books. I never read those books. And are, are you still using the book as a paperweight? <laughs> it's on my shelf. Uh, it's it's got a nice space, but I haven't made it back there yet. Dust it off every once in a while. Um, so he gave me this book on the doctrine of mere consciousness, yoga char school, and I went, "Wow, you know, this book is very good." If you can, you can't. If you want to buy it now, because we were looking for the price of it, it's like $325. I don't know how much you paid, but it went up in value. So it's a, a good investment. So if anything else, you can sell it right now. You get <laughs> double your money back. Okay. So, but anyway, it's also, it, it has, what's good for you is it has Chinese on one side and English on the other. So you can read the two of them if you're, if you can read Chinese. But I was reading it and I didn't understand anything. I, I went, oh, this is good. And I read a page and I go, what did I just read? I don't know what I read. Honestly, it because there were so many words in Sanskrit. And not only that, but just the concepts didn't make any sense. You know, I didn't understand it. So I made a vow that I wasn't going to go to the next page and, until I understood what was written on that page. And I read it again. I still didn't understand it. So I made the vow. I won't go to the next paragraph until I understand the paragraph. Nothing. I went, I will not go to the next line until I understand what's written on this line. I finally got down to word saying, I will not go to the next word unless I understand what this word means. So I had to create a Sanskrit dictionary for myself literally to know what these words meant i didn't know what they meant and so so 
little by little, I slogged through. And each day, it became easier to understand it. But something very strange happened after that. I could open and read any sutra book and understand it. It just, from that sincerity, all of the, the wisdom of the sutras, they just opened up to me. It's very strange. So, so you want to know how to read, you read like that. And then it will, then they will yield. Again, they have one level of knowledge, like you're reading the Heart Sutra. And then there's a profound, wait till you get to the secret meaning. Like you said, you got a little peak, you know, with it. It's okay. Just keep going with it. You know, and and it it goes incredible when you begin to understand it. You look up that word Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, you find out how what 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 it means in Sanskrit. You look at all things and and try to understand the five skanda. You study it so you penetrate it, and then it then it begins to yield its its true value. Okay, but you don't just read because if you read, then what good is that? Yeah, you had a question. Well, um, I'm asking on behalf of my translation group. So if what you just said, you know, um, don't read further until you understand the line. Yes. So if we're gonna do translation for you or consecutive interpreting during your lectures. We don't have time, right, to, to read so much. Let's say you gave us like five sutras that you're going to read, some quotations, before we even get to the bottom of the first paragraph. I'm, I'm talking about during the preparation. So in, what, what, what is your advice on this when we be able to prepare for, you know, translation? In, in translating, um, it's, it, to be a translator, you have to have a, a great responsibility. Um, and sometimes you have to be careful of the double or triple meanings of any phrase that's being said. So you have to, to, to present them in the right way. So it does take a certain amount of skill and, and a certain amount of holding back and looking at it and examining it rather than just going through and, and you know, Google can do that, right? And, and if you ever, you use Google for translating, then you know what, Google is, you know, it'll say, you know, uh, I, I, can I have a dish of motor oil, please, you know, or whatever it is. It doesn't translate exactly like you think it does. So, so you have to go beyond this kind of a Google translation of literal meaning to, to something more than that and feel the heart. So the translator has to have at least the heart to be mindful not to make a mistake in that and be careful so that you, you do not um, pick the wrong meaning of that uh, and and so it's very important if it's something for instance uh, I was reading uh, red pine and red pine's uh, version of something and uh, and Suzuki had also I think it was a Lankavatara Sutra and Suzuki had had said something um, and and he picked the wrong meaning out of two. And and Red Pine said, he picked this one because it sounds like that and, and it fits, but it's like trying to put a puzzle piece in that doesn't quite fit completely, but it's close. But but then when Red Pine said this is the meaning, you could easily see how how 
how it fit in, you know, because that was the, the right word. So we have to be mindful because what Suzuki had done was he changed the whole context of that particular translation with, with using the wrong word. It, it was very, very close, but it was it 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 went a whole different way than it should have. And then when you read the red pine one, you go, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and it, and it easily makes sense. Where the other one, you say, well, I can kind of sort of maybe see that that applies. So so that's how you you translate. Okay. Yes. Um, question on a different topic. It's kind it's of a okay. simple question. Uh, I don't know anything about bowling though. <laughs> Uh, so it's like when when you practice, I it's um hmm, try how to find the words for it. So it's like it's it's kind of like you, what you said the analogy of like you don't pull strings too tight, but you don't want to do it too loose, and you somewhere in the middle. But the thing is, like when I try hard, that sense of duality is really there. It's like I need it, enlightenment, yeah. <laughs> and then, but like that's that's going the opposite direction, right? But it's like, if I don't have that goal, that object, I kind of like fall off the other side of the edge, which is like vacation. So how do you find somewhere middle? Well, how did the Buddha solve it? <laughs> Self-practice. No. How did the Buddha solve it? Your chance at redemption. <laughs> By looking deeply into it. Okay, let me see. How did the Buddha solve it? I don't have an answer to this one. You weren't paying attention to him. Didn't you see the little Buddha? At least you could have watched the movie The Little Buddha and you could answer this one. If this you cannot tighten the strings on the on the loop too tight or they'll break. You cannot you cannot uh make them too loose so they won't play music. You, you tell, just right, the middle way. But it's just Maja, kind of hard because like I swing between both ends. Yeah, so you just like Nagarjuna, just go right down the middle. So <laughs> so you you apply what effort you need to hold in concentration, but you don't overdo it because when you overdo it, then you create this idea of a duality of stress or attaining. I would need to get something. That's why I told you, okay. In my way of meditation, the pressure is off. Literally, the pressure is off. Because all you do is you back up. You back away from that which is causing the pressure, which is the, the false self. And you, you relax. Relax the body. Relax the mind. The only thing you have to do is maintain enough concentration to stay in the present moment and hold your method. Then it works. This is the middle way, Nagarjuna. Oh, you remember Nakajun, the middle way, Maka school. Because, okay. like, I feel like once I relax, I kind of like, you know, just the brain just like turns off. <laughs> it's because you're using kind of like the natural idea of what you think relaxation is, you know, relaxing. Relaxing doesn't mean that you fall asleep. Your body is relaxed. When you see the athletes, you know, Let's say somebody who's batting, okay? When they're batting, they, they're they not up there like this, right? They're like, 
moving the bat and relaxing and relaxing and relaxing because that enables them to use appropriate muscles to do that. Only the muscles that are necessary to do that. If they're tight, by the time they get around to swinging, the ball will go by them. A lot of people do that. If the pitcher is very fast, they'll go, what happened? Because they're too tight, that they're not loose enough. So, so you, you just apply what's necessary, but don't equate relaxation with sleep. Okay, you don't. You have to during the day, and this is a good question, very, very good question. This is what you call like a basic question, but a good basic question. You, during the day, you relax, 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 relax. You don't have to, but it's not relaxation like relax, like that. The only reason that you do that is because when you go to sleep at night, you can't sleep because you're not relaxed. So you go, oh, this feels so good. I can just sleep right now. You use chan sleep to, to do that, but this relaxation is one like um, if you see somebody like that plays kung fu or a, a, a ballet dancer, you ever see how they move, how beautiful they move, and everything is so graceful. So you just become graceful moment to moment. And even in your actions, whatever you do, you're that way. Sometimes people, you, I see the people, they come to a chair and they just plop, plop on the chair. You know, Westerners do that more than Chinese. Chinese take their time sitting down most of the time, <laughs> unless they're Westernized, and then they go, "What the heck happened to you?" <laughs> but but everything is graceful as you get up. You're graceful, except for me when I'm trying to get my legs to come back to life. But you try to be graceful in everything that you do. You try to be graceful in your 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 mind, in your in your thinking. Is soft, relaxed. You try to with the words that you choose. You pick appropriate words. They sometimes they need to be sharp. Sometimes they need to be soft. They they need to be understanding. You no, know, uh, sometimes they need you know uh, what your actions are. Today I talked to one of my friends that she has some very serious physical problem. I cannot say to her, "Oh, don't worry, everything's impermanent. Soon you'll be dead anyway." <laughs> that would not be that would not be something that you do so you find the appropriate words to let that person know i care i will send you blessings you know i will do what i can to help you to talk about their medical problem to see if there's things that could be done the cause all of those you you give everything it's due time and and just remember that I'm, I'm telling you because I'm telling you how to live the rest of your life. And they'll say, you know, you look different. I'm the same person, but you're like very smooth and relaxed, you know, with everything you do. You, you, you don't, you're not upset. You see things as they are, as they're appearing before you. You can analyze it. All of that comes from relaxing the mind. When you relax the mind, all of a sudden, it's as if you switched on a few more gigabytes of power in your computer. It, it lights up, boom, it's ready to go. But it doesn't, it's just relaxed. When you lose that relaxation, you lose all that potential power of mental processing. Can you imagine? And you have the capability of processing more data 
or data, 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 or Star Trek says data, right? <laughs> okay. So I'm not your mother, I'm your data. <laughs> but but anyway, the thing is, is that imagine if you have that to process. So when you're processing things, you're processing it and your mind will then switch to be able to see that this conversation, this action, this whatever it is, is heading to over here. And so you um, you see that. It's like yesterday, um, I was riding in a car, you know, and and um, there was a car in a far lane, like two lanes over. I knew it was going to come into this lane, you know, and I'm going like, watch that car, you know, and sure enough, the car came that way. Your mind can is so able to detect even minute fluctuations in the way a person is driving, perhaps even their mind thoughts, that you can see that something is going to happen. So you're no longer this present moment of the Buddha transcends the idea of the past and the future. And so a lot of times you are in the future waiting for the present to catch up. And that present is already your past. But you function in that way. And you're just waiting for everything to catch up. It's very interesting. Because it's a, the mind is capable of doing that. Okay? But just understand relaxation should not be equated with falling asleep. It's the relaxed mind. And that's the difference. Because if, when I tell you to relax, if you fall asleep, then you mess the whole thing up. This is a relaxed mind, not a sleepy mind. So when it's relaxed, what happens is it opens up to all different potentialities that one sees and can easily process what will happen if whatever you do next or whatever this person does next, and you, you will see that happening. You know, as an attorney, it's it's a really good benefit because I can guide things as to where they need to go. Taken from past actions to present to future. So it, it's a good way of harmonizing with people. All right. I think that's it for right now. You guys can take your break and come back and sit for some more. Father Buddha, Father Peter, let's take a 10-minute break. Uh, please file out on the silver file.